So then, if you see, on the other hand, that existence, that existence is musical in nature, that is to say that it is not serious, it is the play. Hello, and welcome to Drunk Art Review. This is the place where anyone from teetotal to blind ass drunk is welcome to give their honest ass opinions about all forms of art. Now, this week, you would have got a lovely opener from our sensational, beautiful co-host, Jenny. <laughs> but unfortunately, something caught fire, other than her beauty. Uh, so you have me. <laughs> Luckily, though, we did record some stellar stuff already for you. So here goes as we chat about our theme this month for International Women's Day. Female sensuality and erotica. Woman in art. In music, though, one doesn't make the end of a composition, the point of the, comp- of the composition. If that were so, the best conductors would be those who played fastest. <laughs> and there would be composers who wrote only finales. <laughs> People go to concert just to hear one crashing chord, because that's the end. <laughs> okay, and now I'm going to take my jumper off because I'm absolutely boiling because I'm drinking alcohol. You, you, you watch out for your your bits, not your breasts. The rest of the bits. <laughs> All right, cry kid. <laughs> oh, you can't hear what I said. That was a great. Hello. In my excitement for the Kickstarter, I've been like waking up at like six. I woke up this morning having had a dream that like 500 pounds of the Kickstarter had been like taken away and I was like, no! How dare they? <laughs> can you, I know, can you imagine? And I, I, I checked it and I was like, oh, thank God, thank God. And then of course, uh, a few few minutes later, I got, got it over the, over the line. Mm-hmm. So that was good. I mean, I really should plug it. I mean, we're talking about it, aren't we? <laughs> yeah, and a plug in. Uh, yeah, you can get my new <laughs> art book, Eros and Venus, an art book by Rosie La. And it's a collection of gushy, sensual, tender, and electric neon illustrations by me. Uh, and it's so cool because it got, it got funded within 14 hours. <gasps> and you know what else is really cool, so cool. for me? My face what? is in it. Mm-hmm. I'm in an art book, <laughs> bitches. I mean, I always knew I was a work of art, but now it's official. Yeah, it's in it's in paper and print, man. <laughs> I mean, we'll put we'll put a link up in them. We'll tag it in uh, drunk art and everything. Instagram. If you follow our Twitter and our Instagram, you should have at least seen at least one post about it by now, if not twenty, because like we've been plugging the shit out of it. <laughs> I know my my Instagram feed. Um, <laughs> I'm people have gone. It's the viewing count has gone so down because they're oh my god, it's just the Kickstarter. <laughs> But uh, yeah, I've been plugging it a lot. Good. Should do because you work yeah. damn hard on it and you should be damn proud of it. People say that you shouldn't big yourself up. And Rosie isn't actually. I'm bigging her up for her. So like, there we go. So it's not big headed. <laughs> there we go. We go around it that way. I mean, um, I'm here for it. <laughs> what would a girl's best friend do, you know? So, ladies and gents and our non-binary listeners, let's start talking about our theme. And if you tuned into our live <laughs> and you've listened to our mini-sode, the first of many to come, you will know that our... The very drunk one. Yeah, very drunk. <laughs> we were very drunk. Cannot explain how drunk we were. <laughs> I stopped recording. I was that drunk. I was just like, it's ending right now. <laughs> 
We are talking about female sensuality and erotica in art this month and to celebrate Women's History Month and it was International Women's History Day on the 8th, we are celebrating mm-hmm. female artists. So female artists that create artwork based around female sensuality and erotica in art. I'd like to start because we had to cut it out of the minisode because we were only meant to have a short 20 minute episode for the minisode we had to cut so much out so I'd like to have a quick chat about this because I think it's really interesting and quite an important point for the episode and also I'd like to hear it again because I just don't remember it no she was she was blackout so I think she'd be quite interested to hear it again (laughs) Rosie's not drinking tonight I have got a little drink so we're on a more mellow evening today just got the the stuff of life tonight not beer water so we're talking about female sensuality erotica and art and the term feminist for pornography started around the late 70s to the early 80s there was quite a lot of things going on at this time because there was a how should i phrase it they called it the sex wars so this was when the feminist movement was really gaining kind of a big following and people were really interested in it and women were really getting behind it and men you know not just women So there was a huge theoretical discussion at the time amongst feminist circles whether feminist porn was actually even possible. Mm. So the sex-positive feminists argued that attempts should still be made to make it and gave it some kind of like rough ideas of what it should look like. And then against the sex-positive feminists were the anti-porn feminists Mm -hmm. and they maintained that it was too much of a contradiction in terms to produce feminist pornography and the feeling was that the principle of it was impossible. They argued that anything that appeared pornographic was produced for a feminist should be labelled as erotica. So there was this distinct thing going on there. The funny thing is, though, like, they're stipulating that the idea of porn always has to be degrading towards a woman. When, um, I mean, porn essentially is a word of just uh, gratification with sex, essentially. So it's like, why can't that be both ways? Well, that's the thing. So you had the ones that were sort of very anti-porn that said, if porn is created for feminists, it should be labelled erotica because it should have a different connotation. The sex-positive feminists were like, nope. I think, you know, here's some ideas, we can make it like this. There were a lot that were kind of in the middle ground. They said that it could be possible, but they hadn't actually seen any true examples of it. So the idea of feminist pornography was that the oppression of violence against women within porn had gone too far. So I think this is why the anti-porn feminists were kind of trying to make this move to say that porn for feminist women or for feminists should be labelled as erotica to kind of make that distinction. But that's having the idea that all porn is geared towards the man, that there's this um, degradation against the woman, violence against the woman, when actual fact like porn in itself should be a wholesome thing on both sides, you know, for, for the gratification of women and men. It should be, and I think the argument that the anti-porn feminists had that it wasn't. Mm-hmm. So at the time when this argument was going on, there was, as I say, a lot of violence within porn against women. And thinking about it, and we think about history and how yeah. women are generally oppressed and seen as the the weaker sex. There's always been extortion within particular industries because they're not regulated. Mm. Some countries are better regulated, but with any kind of industry where there's money to be made, be it alcohol, drugs. I don't know, clothing, for example. I mean, people think that clothing is a legit industry, but think of all the women that get, you know... So many people exploited through all of those schemes. Exactly. The amount of women that are, and men that are exploited through, you know, producing cheap garments. But anywhere there is money to be made, there will always be exploitation. And in this sense, it was the way within porn, women were that kind of controlled, yeah. you know, they were seen as the weaker, you know... God, I hate that term, the weaker sex. Ugh. 
I know, I know. <laughs> At the time, there was a film called Snuff. Have you heard of Snuff? When I think of Snuff, I think of like snuff films. Is, is it? Was it at the same time as Deep Throat? Um, it was 1976. It was released. Okay, yeah, I think it's about the same time. And there was quite, quite a lot of, you know, questionable things happened in this film mm. at the time, and it was quite graphic. So these people that were in favour of the feminist pornography or erotica, as they wanted, some of them wanted to relabel it. They kind of felt that the censorship wasn't the correct tactic to approach the issue with. So rather than saying all porn is bad, let's ban it because. I mean, when would that happen? <laughs> you know, we've seen throughout history when someone bans something that then becomes an illegal thing and that's when even more exploitation happens. I mean, we could go into examples yeah, of talking yeah. about legalising drugs and, uh, you know... Many episodes ahead of that, I think we can have for that. We could talk about this for hours, about how actually having things legalised, for example, like prostitution, would then lead to more regulations and more safety. There would still be exploitation within the industry. Yeah. But if it was a legal industry that had proper regulations and people that checked, there would be less of it because they would have to pay fines if they'd been naughty, as mm. in the people that were in power and controlling the women that were selling themselves. But well, it's taking the power away from the women once again, isn't it? Yeah. You know the reason they dislike it so much is because at the moment they don't have to, you know, it's not getting tax paid on it. So fuck the government. Down with the system. <laughs> You do what you want with your body, it's yours. Absolutely. As long as no one's exploiting you. There we go. So the idea was that instead of completely censoring porn and getting rid of it altogether, it was to develop a non-sexist pornography. Okay. So that there was more of a vision that actually this feminist pornography was for a female view. Because even nowadays, there is still a great sense of things being created for a male viewer, even with pornography. Yeah. And I mean, I applaud women who step out of their comfort zones and do things that they might be frightened to do, but there should still be some kind of boundary within it to make it more about the woman and her comfort. Mm -hmm. And I mean, I think it's great that we've got women who are in this industry and they're thriving, brilliant career. You know, we've got female producers and filmographers and mm -hmm. actors within the industry. But I think there is still probably a lot going on behind the scenes that we don't see that could be exploitative of women. Oh my God. That's why I love the women that we see now on social mm. media who are very much real about their bodies. You mm -hmm. know, they're like, I'm this super sexual, wonderful being, but then they show the real sides of them where they're like, this is what my body looks like on a normal day. And kind of is like showing that balance between the desire of the male gaze, <laughs> you know. Well, it, it's normalizing it. You know, it's so much more human and yeah, it's nice to see things being produced by women for women to enjoy. Yeah. And I think that's what this kind of battle at the time was trying to kind of level out. And I think then it was even more like the tables were t tipped even more because it was just that racism and bigotry and misogyny was raging. Did you like that? Yeah, you did. <laughs> you know what you might enjoy even more? This audio submission is from the amazing Reed Amber. I've been a huge fan of her for a while now and her message about sexual positivity and the wholesomeness of liberation and human exploration is real powerful. The fact that she sent this in for our episode is amazing. Um, so yeah, here we go. Enjoy my honey sweets. Every minute. I'll never catch him while I'm this small. 
curious butterflies. You mean bread and butterflies? Oh yes, of course. Hello, my name's Reed. I'm a sex, nudity and mental health anti-shamer. And I co-founded the company Come Curious, which is a sex educational multimedia platform where you can mainly find us on YouTube under Come Curious or have a listen to our podcast, Fucks Given, which is all about busting sex myths and talking openly and honestly about our sex lives. Of course, learning and laughing as we go. Sensuality as a woman means to me closeness and complete and utter openness and honesty from your partner. Sensuality doesn't have to be partnered. It can be a sensuality within yourself and your solo sex play. Some of the best times I have are when I am on my own and get into like a really nice, juicy, filthy fantasy porn hole. And porn doesn't have to be the commercial stereotypical porn you see online. This could be anything from written erotica to erotic audio to ethical indie adult film. It really varies on what takes your fancy. And just getting connected with your body, which can be really hard to do when you have all the stresses of life. So when you want to be sensual, whether that's with a partner or by yourself, it's learning to get out of your, your mind which can be a nightmare, and to really engage with your body, um, which is quite hard to do. I struggle to do that myself because I really struggle to have clitoral orgasms, but it is a skill you have to practice and learn and hone in on. Now, sensuality with another person, I feel, is all about checking in with them and asking them questions and being really interested on what excites them not just physically, but also mentally. Because as we know, if we are mentally turned on, our body will also soon follow suit. And by doing so, sparking up a conversation about what you're into, where you're in a judgment-free zone, where you can say absolutely anything and not be looked at weird for what you're inter interested in, depending on if you have maybe a kink or fetish, that can be quite hard for people to discuss openly without being embarrassed. I myself have a big fetish, which is tickling, would you believe? And uh, many, like that, hundreds, hundreds of kinks. And there is a difference between them. So a kink is just an uncommon turn on, but a fetish is something that is almost like fundamental to your pleasure. You know, you think about it all the time. It's kind of like there all the time. Maybe you've had this from when you were young, a teenager. And sometimes, or often, not a fetish can be non-sexual. So, for example, tickling or leather or feet. Feet is a big one for people. I'm also into feet as well. I love my feet being played with. It's amazing. <laughs> they are really like amazing erogenous zones. And I used to hate my feet when I was like, maybe up until I was 25. Absolutely loathed them. But now I'm like, oh my God, why? You know, they're amazing. <laughs> so yeah, sensuality is just being so connected with your body and what turns you on. And it doesn't have to be penetrative sex. Often feel that sensuality is a lot of, for me, touch and taking things very slowly so I can get connected with my body. Of course, I also really like the hard pounding, but I wouldn't necessarily say that's being sensual. Being very connected with your erogenous zones and as a woman connected with your labia, 
with your vulva because it's just so sensitive with your nipples with your vagina um i love penetrative sex but it's not for everyone so really figuring out what makes you feel comfortable and what makes you turned on can be amazing for sensuality some of the biggest misconceptions about female sex workers are daddy issues that really annoys me <laughs> like all sex workers have to have daddy issues or mental health problems and it's an unfair misconception to have because many of us do have mental health problems but that doesn't mean to say that we've gone into sex work because of those issues i myself are a obsessive compulsive disorder anxiety and depression conqueror and that hasn't weighed in on my sex work at all like i have been a sex worker for the past um probably about eight years starting off in webcam and doing everything from full service sex work to foot worship meets to domination sessions to shaking my phone on the babe channels to sex phone operator and now i'm selling pictures and videos via OnlyFans. I love what I do, I always have done, but I am coming from a very privileged position of having a choice in that I've always had the choice to want to do sex work. It's not the same for women of color and it's not the same for trans women. They have a very different experience as sex workers and we do need to protect them. I think there's a lot of misconceptions with sex work. A lot of people get their back up about even the name of it. Actually, I should explain what sex work is. Sex work is the umbrella term for any kind of sexual act for money or goods. So that's everything from like dancers, strippers to webcammers, online performers. You've got sugar mummies, sugar daddies, sugar babies. <laughs> there's a whole plethora of that. You've got mistresses dominatrixes, doms, male doms, people who run sex bed and breakfasts or workshops or who are full service escorts who work in brothels. And sex work in the UK is legal, but it's not completely legal. What we want is for it to be decriminalised because at the moment, there are still some very unusual laws that do not help sex workers be safe. For example, you can be a sex worker but you cannot advertise your sex work so you couldn't put that online and be like hey i'm a sex worker that can get you into trouble and brothels are illegal in this country so you could work from your own home but as soon as you double up with a mate and start doing sex work from your own home to feel safe that is illegal which is completely messed up and people can take advantage of that situation by being violent and saying well if you contact the police then you're the one that's actually going to get into trouble which is horrible the misconception that sex work is always non-consensual i think a lot of people hear sex work and they think of sex trafficking which is absolutely horrible that is something that we do not condone and we are not there for and we want to actively try and stop because sex trafficking is sex work without consent is pushing people into situations that they don't want to do whether or not it's through the more extreme versions like kidnapping and drugging um, or it's through coercion and being convinced to do something you can be sex trafficked by you know your partner because they're just saying oh you know we're, we're really struggling for rent this month can you not just go and shag someone and then we've got rent covered and that would just be a massive strain off our 
minds like that is trafficking and a lot of people don't think of it like that that is what we're actively trying to fight against one of my favorite charities is called beyond the streets which is there for sex workers and they are opening up the space to just have a conversation with sex workers you know they go around the streets before covid giving out cups of tea and just treating sex workers like they are normal people because we are we are normal people we have normal lives and just by having these conversations with these women or people they have the ability to potentially help give perspective to a sex worker who might be in a situation they don't want to be in and then they will provide help for her to get out of that situation which is just such an incredible admirable thing to do and another huge misconception for sex workers is that it's easy i think a lot of people kind of get glamorized by how sex work is appeared in like film and tv and it's all like money bitches and bling and that's not the truth um of course there can be situations that are like that and everyone strives to do that like they do you know in everyone loves money right but what they don't realize is that sex workers is it's not just work a lot of my clients aren't here for sex a lot of my clients are here for companionship for friendship i'm a therapist to a lot of them we talk about a lot of deep subjects it's not just sex and it's also a lot of it is marketing because a lot of people who have started subscription sites during lockdown which has been amazing and really helpful for a lot of people and security of money then they think oh it's it's easy i can just put up pictures and videos and it's people forget about how much time and effort goes into the marketing of that and trying to make yourself aware because starting from scratch if you have just created a pseudonym and you know like a person a sex a sex worker name then if nobody knows that you exist it doesn't matter whether you're putting out great amazing content it won't be found so having to know and understand the social media game and how to market yourself also safely as well so for example instagram you put anything too explicit out there that will get taken down putting out little teasers creating images that are instagram safe covering up and censoring things putting stuff out on twitter twitter you're allowed to have hardcore content out there but if you do put hardcore content out there then people might look at the free hardcore content but then not join your subscription service so it's it's basically understanding people you you basically have to be your own advertiser and that can be really tough also looking after your mental health during your sex work and especially during like only fans if you get a drop in subscribers then that can really play a part in how you feel about yourself and how you see yourself and it's a real you have to really train your brain to not think that it's something that you're doing or something that that you've done something wrong instead try it and see it from a place of oh well maybe it's a school holiday and all the kids are home and so they can't be looking at your site all the time so one of my favorite artists is a lovely girl called Sarah Maxwell and she is a LGBTQA+ artist and every single time I see one of her pieces of work I just want to like dive into it they're so sexy and so sensual and just so loving and she herself and her girlfriend we had them on the podcast recently and it was just so she was just such an incredible character and I absolutely love her like through and through so much fun to chat to mm -hmm. but I'd highly check out her work that is just so sensual mm. um I'm also reading a book called The Ethical Slut which is a book about polyamory open relationships non-monogamy and helps you kind of look 
or understand past the traditional monogamous relationship. I'm not through it very far because I am severely dyslexic, so I find books quite difficult to read, especially when they're quite like <laughs> wordy and scientific. But I'm getting through it. I've only just finished my last book, so I'm getting there. It's quite quite complicated, but it is a book that I've heard over and over again. And it is supposed to, well, change your life and how you see relationships. Even if you are someone who's into monogamous relationships, it's supposed to help you connect with sex and love way more. And I myself are non-monogamous. I don't have a partner at the moment. I don't ever see myself being monogamous, but you know, never say never. And with my last partner of seven years, we were non-monogamous and it worked really well for us. I think a lot of people think with non-monogamy is that we're off fucking people all the time and that's just not the case. A lot of it is having tunnel vision for each other and only wanting to be with each other, but having the option to have sex with other people or to be intimate with other people if the option arrives. Arise, arise, arose, there we go, arose. And my partner and I always said it in a way that was like, oh, well, we would never want to get in the way of you having a an amazing sexual experience just because we're in a relationship. And it can be complicated to navigate. You know, there will be times that you do feel jealous and that you're unsure if it's what you want. But all you can do is talk about it constantly and be okay with making mistakes. You know, it doesn't start off like suddenly we're non-monogamous and we can sleep with other people. You, you, you take baby steps. At the beginning of our relationship, there was a lot of conversations around it, like, how do you feel about this? Hypotheticals, like, what if I was at a pub and you weren't there? And would it be all right if I flirted with someone? Would it be okay if they bought me a drink? Would it be okay if I kissed them? And it's just trying to figure out how you want to work it. Like, you, as a non-monogamist, you make the rules that works for you and nobody else. And there is still a lot of stigma around non-monogamy because it's not a very normal practice for a lot of people. We've been drilled into us that to have a successful relationship, you have to be with that one person for the rest of your life and get the house and get the kids and, and do all that. And that doesn't have to be your rules. That doesn't have to be your narrative. I feel so lucky every day that I love my job and I love what I do. And whether or not that is being a sex worker or being a sex educator, my whole world revolves around sex, which is me. It doesn't mean, and sex isn't for everyone. Sex can be quite stressful for a lot of people, but it's it's the thing that makes me feel empowered and that excites me about life. Everything there is to do with sex. Come Curious has opened so many doors for us. I started it six years ago with Florence and ever since then I feel like I've discovered myself more and found out who I really am just by being so open to all aspects around sex, even things that I wasn't keen on and just being like, well, you know, you've got to try it once. Who knows? The fact that we are talking about sex openly means that we have a lot of people coming to us and saying that it has really made an impact on them, which is what has been the most valuable thing out of starting Come Curious. Having people message and and let them know that they, they don't feel suicidal anymore because of their past experiences and trauma and being allowed to express themselves and having two people to listen to that feel so confident about their sex lives. We started Come Curious as a little side hobby back when we were both fully working and we have spent a lot of free time unpaid time working at it and it's just been it has been worth it we could never have imagined that now it's a whole business a legitimate company 
it's our careers. You know, we now employ people. We have three amazing creators, Benja and Six, who you can find on our Instagram, talking about sex from their opinions and their views. Uh, Florence and I do recognise that we are two cis white women and trying to open up the conversation away from that has been so incredibly enlightening. And we employ a couple of editors, we have a graphics designer, we have a manager, and now we're moving on to bigger pastures with our podcast that's going to be even bigger and better. And it was just such a joy that we could help people and make a little bit of money on the side. Maybe not enough to sustain a company. At the moment, we're only really breaking even. So I thank the lucky stars that I still have sex work because we never would have been able to, to actually continue come curious on the money that we were earning. But now we are in a good place and there are exciting things coming. And of course, the more money that we have, the more time and effort we can spend into come curious and the more knowledge and word that we can spread out there for the rest of the world. Our biggest audience at the moment is US based and that's both for the podcast and for our YouTube channel. Um, so things are getting bigger and better and better and we can't wait to see what it has to hold. Um, I, I, I do wake up every day. I don't get the Sunday morning dread. That's when you know you hate your job. Um, and I've had that. I've had like years of that. And now I just wake up. Obviously not loving life every single day. A job's a job. There are going to be days where it like empowers you and you feel great and enlightened and wonderful. And there are days that you absolutely hate it and you feel exhausted and tired and drained. But overall, it's good times over bad. And just being able to do what, what interests you and what excites you has just been fascinating. I don't think I could ever get bored of sex, even though I talk about it all day, every day, <laughs> 24, seven, seven days a week. It's just definitely something that is deep ingrained in me. And being able to express that, it's just, it leaves me speechless. It leaves me empowered. Have you got more? No, hit me up, girl. I'm, I know I'm. I'm ready. Yeah, you ready? <laughs> I've hit you. I've hit you with a little bit of the history about the uh, origins of feminist pornography. I think we've got a good basis. I'll. I'll give you. Yeah, this does really does flow into um, what I was going to talk about. How I've written it is like now when it comes to women in art. <laughs> now when it comes to women in art, um, we immediately think of the iconic female feminine represented work don't we such as you know george o'keefe and we've talked about her before mm -hmm. um she's a big one who dealt with ideals of femininity and sensuality like how the male gaze would think of her work as being overtly sexual and such mainly because of like her nude modeling before so they just like disgraced her ugh, in the male gaze and that her flowers were female genitalia and all that Yet we as women have flipped that and have found that meaning very empowering. Connecting with one's own inner sensuality through sort of mother nature. It's a crazy dynamic regardless about how it was initially created by her because she didn't, she never said, she never thought of it be, as being like sensual or anything. No, she, she, I think she quite vehemently opposed the idea that they were mm. a sexual image. Yeah. You know, she was very much on board of these uh, close-ups of flowers and men are trying to make it dirty. Mm -hmm. Yeah, but women found that like super empowerment through like the sensuality and the, the sort of the, the sexual representation. 
yeah, you can still be sensual in a painting without it being an object of sexuality. Yeah. The way you make something can be sensual. Mm -hmm. So I think as women, we connect with that side of things, even if it's not overtly sexual. Yeah, yeah. So this is the part, this is what I was talking about, which connects with um, that sort of the film and cinematography. (laughs) But what uh, we rarely discuss is female directors exploring sensuality through masculine views which I was like, what? So it's basically like the direction of female view woven through a male lead character, which is fascinating to me. It barely gets a chance to be acknowledged. Like there are so few female uh, directors that are loved. And if they are making a film generally, they're you know making a very female geared film, which I think is something that we, we kind of forget. It's like women can explore and tell stories about their own sexuality and sensuality and translate that through a male story. That's still a woman doing that, you know? I think the the thing is, there are probably lots of women that are trying to do that, but because there's this whole push of she's a female director rather than just yeah. she's a director, mm-hmm. they tend to focus on the female directors that are making things for females rather than just a director making something for everyone. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Which is uh, this, this distinction between female and male directors mm-hmm. they don't say male director they just say director why I do they know. have to say female director I, know. Oh. I mean it, what you're saying shouldn't be a weird thing because we often accept just generally i mean there's more of a push against it now but we generally accept when a male director makes a film from a female perspective why shouldn't exactly. we have more females making films from a male perspective as well it's yeah yeah why isn't that normal if the other is normal why isn't that normal we mm-hmm. should be able to flip it on its head yeah it's mainly like a, a men's club, like you said, uh, but some really iconic films about men's sexuality and all that entails have been made by women. Um, for instance, Point Break <laughs> was directed by <laughs> Catherine Bigelow, <laughs> which is super action-packed. It's, it's this thrill ride. And honestly, it's a traditional men's movie, right? I mean, they reference it in Hot Fuzz, for Christ's sake, about male bonding. <laughs> But that connection that Keanu and Patrick Swayze have on screen, in my mind, is in no doubt because of it being a female director and that intense, deep rapport. You know, I think that that, I don't know. It offers a different type of sensitivity to it, doesn't it? Absolutely, yeah. And I think that's probably why so many people love that film, because of that female take on what a male connection can be. Directors transform what we see and experience on film. We rush to see films directed by directors we love because it's their vision and their connection with the art we want to see, their storytelling. You could have some scripts directed a a thousand different ways, like the same script directed entirely differently. And now I, I, I did find a fantastic article from The Guardian, which gives a lovely backdrop to female directors. And it's written by Anne Lee. So um, sorry if I copy and paste quite a bit of this, but <laughs> it's pretty good. And it was from the la- it was from last year in 2020. And basically uh, Anne Lee, she's having a discussion about a film season at the Barbican called Her Lens, His Story, Female Directors and Masculinities, which is funny me discussing this considering our theme for this episode. (laughs) But women, women telling male stories is hugely profound and it isn't given enough rep. So she's interviewing um, this Australian screenwriter and director, Anna Kokonis. Great name. I think that's how you pronounce it. And this director says, There aren't many female directors, and when women get the opportunity to make a film, they tend to want to make them about women. 
But when women make films about men, there is still a taboo around that. There's a cliched view that women can't explore masculinity or the male experience. However, it's liberating for women to explore men because we're not shackled by the same assumptions about the male experience that men often have about the female experience. Portraying men in a non-traditional way, free from cliché, uh, is a political act, <laughs> is what she says. And that reminded me of that other quote. What is it? I, I think you must know it. Being yourself is a, a political act or something. It's like an art quote. Do you remember that? Oh, being yourself is like an act of defiance. Yeah, something, yeah. And her own films were considered controversial when it was, when they were released for, you know, sort of gritty depictions of gay sex and drugs. But it also gives a voice to immigrant experience as well. Her films, they didn't idealise privileged men in positions of power. The minute you don't depict men as powerful drivers of their own destinies, people find that very difficult. So you can see the contradiction within her film, general society looking at something being like, a woman is making a film about a man not being his own driving force. That's such a, such a breaking down of the patriarchal system. And that's a huge thing to grasp. It's transforming the norm of the male stereotype on its head because a woman is translating the story through her own experiences adding many depths and complexities of compassion, anger and sensitivities that we can agree are often washed over by a male gaze of women. The number of female directors in the film industry is kind of slowly growing, but it's still like so dismally low. And like we were saying earlier, ironically, when women do direct, it's they likely focus on female stories. Because it's almost like uh, it's easier for a male audience or a, a, a general audience to watch a female directed film about women. About. Yeah. yeah, yeah, it's easier for them to comprehend. Like, it's almost expected, isn't it? Yeah, yeah. I think the thing that's important here is because we're talking about masculinity and femininity. I mean, we've discussed it before, and especially like last month, that sex and sexuality is a spectrum, isn't it? Yeah. So just because you are, you identify as a female, doesn't mean you don't have masculine tendencies or masculine qualities. Mm -hmm. So it's, I think it's good that women do explore that side of themselves and there will be women who are super feminine or considered what feminine is. And there will be women who consider themselves as more masculine but still identify as feminine. Mm -hmm. And I think it's really interesting that we have all of those viewpoints and they're all valid and all important. Yeah. And, you know, experiences from all different types of women from regardless of background, whether they're trans, whether they're sometimes they're fl gender fluid, so sometimes they identify as female, but then sometimes mm -hmm. they're non-binary, sometimes they're male. It, it's really important that we start getting more of that, as you say, into the film industry yeah so that the audience is more accepting of it mm -hmm. because it's almost like a shocking thing to the system as you say that's like that's so unexpected but it shouldn't be because you know we're getting more used to you know women making films about women why can't women make films about men men have been making films about women for years let's flip it around exactly <laughs> why is, why should that be a strange thing especially because you find men that have feminine qualities mm -hmm. and that's wonderful and lovely and good for them you know whether they're male identify as male or non-binary mm -hmm. whatever is personal to them and again in the same way females that identify as female 
that have masculine tendencies from one end to the other end of the spectrum. It's, mm. you know, there's no reason why women's sensuality and sexuality can't take that viewpoint of a masculine, but even from their own view, Yeah, if that makes sense. And the funny thing is, is that I, and I'm sure you, we wouldn't necessarily even consider these traits either being feminine or masculine in the way that we feel. It's more, we feel them in, in passion and anger and strength. We, we feel them beyond a gender. Mm. I mean, gender is just this thing that we assign to things, you know, it's crazy. But it, it's entirely true. It needs to be opened up for women to be discussing stuff about guys, for God's sake. <laughs> and especially within film. And the movie that tops it off, though, and I mean, I, I'm a big fan, um, is American Psycho. This was made by Mary Harron. I've never seen American Psycho. What? Oh my God, when you come up, let's watch it. <laughs> I don't like scary things. No, no, see the thing is, right? I mean, I told you that I thought this was like a serious movie, right? And I, I've loved it since it was released. What, when was it released? Hold on. Was it like 2000? 2000. Yeah, yeah. I see. I know. I didn't. I didn't even have to Google that. I just know. <laughs> anyway, like I didn't realize it was a dark comedy until um, Johnny came. Like, when Johnny came up, I took him to the cinema and we watched American Psycho, and I heard other people laughing, and I was like, "Oh my god, it is funny." I'd been watching this by myself. <laughs> without people for years and I mean I don't know what that says about me but <laughs> I've been watching this like horrific movie and then suddenly I realized how funny it was <laughs> anyway Mary Harron she did an incredibly beautiful job of highlighting the complex craziness of Patrick Bateman which is obviously Christian Bale portraying the lust and eroticism he felt as he descended further into losing his mind. And I mean, I won't give away the story because you haven't seen it. Oh, I hope that most people who are listening to this have seen it because it's fucking amazing. I think most people have, but I just <laughs> tend to avoid anything that I think is going to be gory or... Well, it, it, um, it borders on it, but it, it never shows anything like super visceral, uh, which is kind of very reflective of him just imagining things. You know, there's lots of like fake blood but there's not really you don't really see like the gore or anything not that i remember anyway um <laughs> okay, there guys i'm gonna watch it and there's gonna be guts everywhere you can watch it with me and i'll 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 uh, i'll tell you if anything weird's happening but in <laughs> in the article that i was reading from the guardian the director that she was interviewing um she makes note about how the camera lingers on christian bale's sculpted body in much the same way men have been filming women's bodies for years. And I mean, I feel that maybe you should just watch the opening sequence. Maybe I'll send that to you because it really is eye-opening and it's beautiful. You really get to enjoy looking at him. And this subtle part of the film takes back the power of a woman looking at a beautiful godlike man and gives a real stunning depiction of desire as the viewer. I mean, man or woman, you are enraptured by him even if he is mental <laughs> uh, and then plus of course later in the film you have the absurdity of the sex scenes as he recreates porn in very aggressive ways uh, with prostitutes but the thing is is like women are are aggressive too and i don't when i say aggressive i don't mean like violent or uh you know prison worthy i just mean like there is 
heated aggression and power and those emotions within women and women have these intelligent depths and can see more than just the the pornographic sex of it and um and you know, I'm, sure, I'm sure men do too, uh, but that's kind of not the question here. It, it's just about hearing and seeing that power of a woman directing that kind of aggression and, and sexual eroticism on, on screen. To be by a woman and not a man is, it, I mean, it gives a new spin on it because it's like, wow, that is powerful. A woman can handle that. And then she says, uh, the moment I realized I wanted to be a director, I felt like a lot of the films expected of women were not necessarily the sort of films that I was into. She says, to see a woman direct American Psycho with no fear was inspiring. <laughs> My main point about discussing this was that I believe certain female directors have expertly channeled their sensual views into the creation of male protagonist films. And that is just as much of women in art as anything. Uh, it's not all about the tenderness a female director will bring in a flowery film. It's about the heated realness that a strong woman has. And using men to intelligently channel that makes utterly amazing films. So that's my little bit. <laughs> Very nice too. <laughs> Very nice. <laughs> Obviously like uh, in the mini-sode I was talking about Deanne Arbus a little bit. And I did want to go further into that, but thinking about her own uh, braveness and control and power that she had, it, it led me on to looking at films by women about that strength, I suppose, and that, that I don't know, that craziness and that, that wildness um, that is so often pushed to the side when a woman is involved. You know, I mean, come on, like, People used to think that women needed to be locked up for fucking needing to have a, an orgasm, for Christ's sake. We're un we're just these unnatural witchy beings that need to be drowned and burned at the stake and locked away if we show any kind of emotion. Heaven forbid. I mean, my God, your white skin and my red hair. Like, my God, we're witches, right? <laughs> and remember, ladies, men would have their wives committed if they showed too much emotion and said that they were hysterical and the hysteria made them mad even though they were just being normal and being like fuck you asshole that is literally the um the word i was looking for there's a great film called hysteria um with hugh dancy mm. he he essentially he's a doc he becomes a doctor um and he has to give massages erotic massages to many 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 women it's quite a funny movie and then his hand cramps and he can't do it and then it and then they invent the uh first vibrator pretty great <laughs> oh, okay then <laughs> It's a good movie. Maybe we can watch that one when you come down. <laughs> I mean, that, that sounds right up my street. Also, I found the quote, I think, that you were trying to say earlier. And um, it's, In a society that profits from your self-doubt, liking yourself is a rebellious act. That is it. That is it. Ah, I love it. Thank you. Thank you for finding that. It's all that. right. It's all right. I'm just sitting here with my Google open ready. You know. <laughs> So, I am going to talk about, and some people may already know this, but I don't know if a lot of people do. You know uh, Lucy Liu? Yeah. The actress, who's, she's uh, very well known for her vast array of filmography and television work. Kill Bill. You know, I mean, 
Kill Bill, Charlie's Angels, Kung Fu Panda, Elementary. Did you know that she's actually been displaying her own artwork privately and in exhibition since 1993? Are you kidding me? How did no, I not, not know this? What? Well. <laughs> yep, Lucy Lou, you heard it here. So she's been working for years mm -hmm. producing artwork. What? And she works in loads of different mediums. She works in painting, drawing, silkscreen, collages, sculpture, you name it. She's she an she's artist. She's fucking incredible when you look at her. I mean, a lot of her work is very abstract, beautiful stuff. <laughs> but the particular series that I would like to talk about is a series called Shunga. Ooh. And this series is a paint series of paintings depicting figures engaging in intercourse and self-pleasure. Now, to kind of give you some background, the word shunga literally translate as spring pictures from Japanese and is an erotic artistic tradition that emerged from early modern Japan. It generally features graphic images of sexual activity and it was really popular during the 17th and the 19th centuries as inst an instructional tool for like, you know, a good and balanced life. And just to give you some perception, and we've spoken about some of these before, so <laughs> artists that took part in this artistic style, as well as other styles, so this wasn't the specific mm -hmm. style, were people like, I don't know, Katsushika Hukusai, <laughs> <laughs> and Yanagawa Shinenobu, Kasai Aisen, and Kitagawa Utamaru. Mm -hmm. So obviously, Hokusai. Now that you're talking about Shunga, I'm like, I know that because I was researching it mm -hmm. for our erotica episode. And I was talking about yeah. Hokusai with like the, um, the fisherman's wife with the octopus. Yeah. Ah! So, I mean, obviously, <laughs> Hokusai did other things apart from Shunga, but that was one of his artistic styles and I think Shigenobu was his um, son-in-law possibly I think mm -hmm. that's who how those two are related or in my yeah anyway so this is this movement of art translated spring pictures and Lucy Liu has done her own series of it so in her own words she found it to be a really stark contrast to her own upbringing because in in her environment sex was quite a taboo subject and there was a lot of secrecy around it and I mm -hmm. imagine that lots of people from conservative families probably have a similar experience some parents find it difficult to talk about or they find it taboo they don't they don't want to have that conversation with their children mm. or they don't know how to have that conversation with their children so her images are made on this large scale and it serves to show the subject matter off in this really like blatant and obvious way and it's this huge contrast to the world she grew up in mm. she said herself that the application process of the paint is just as liberating as the topic of shunga itself for her because it's like that super cathartic yeah yeah, she makes these, you know, staples these canvases to a wall. Um, I don't know why I'm doing this because no one can see it apart from Lucy on my video <laughs> call. I'm just doing like large hand expressions. The gesticulation of your hands help you talk. I get it. <laughs> they do. If you cut my hands off at the moment, I wouldn't be able to speak. <laughs> she staples these huge bits of canvas to a wall and just is like really liberally applying this paint onto the canvas. So it's this wow. super liberating process about what is for her a super liberating subject. The work that she does, oh, I suppose I should say now that Rosie, you need to open that link I, I sent you so you can actually have- I was wondering when I have a little look. Have a look at these, because I'm gonna sort of zone in on a couple of them in particular, but this will give Rosie a chance to kind of have a look what I'm talking about. Oh, oh, I had no idea she was a painter. <laughs> I know, and I mean, after this episode, you can go and look at the rest of her beautiful artworks. Oh, they're so little, little, little mouths. It's lovely. <laughs> so yeah, I mean, her work does pay like tribute to the traditional style. It's 
it's definitely mm. that type of artwork but she's really taken the concept and added her own artistic style so for example there's an image there which you can probably see uh, it's called un cachette which translates secretly from french ah yes yes so that depicts two intertwined female lovers wrapped in beautiful fabrics. That's the one with the little mouths that are so pretty. Yes. <laughs> While it's distinctly Shunga, I almost looked at it, it has this really kind of like Falvism style to it. Yeah. Like, you know, when I saw it, I was like, wow, that's got some super like Henry and Matisse vibes mm -hmm. to it because of the way she's painted it. But at the same time, it's still got that traditional artwork that she's looking for as you scroll down you'll you'll see that there's a slight again there's different styles within this series so there's a piece called um moi at les which is me and the others in french and it shows a woman laying back and she's pleasuring herself and this again reminded me of one of my favorite artists i've spoken about <laughs> in the erotic art episode we've done previously about how klimt would draw his female models it makes me think of Egon Shield too though, it's just that position, yeah. isn't it? And that the whiteness of the skin and the the intimacy of it, like where the hands are, they're just so delicately placed. Mm. So it, some of them is, they kind of like are reaching out into different kind of aspects of like expressing yourself within different styles of painting but within the sugar shunga world. So and as you scroll down the page you'll see that there's works that kind of reference that more early traditional track. Um, style of that Shunga painting and they have that more illustrated yeah. quality yeah, I can see it but again even with that super illustrated quality Lou completely puts her own twist on it with her looseness of line art and her mm. beautiful color choices it's like the traditional images but it's like so bang up to date she's kind of brought it into the 21st century and I just love the way that she's done all these different styles within this series mm. I think that helps add to the aspects of all the different versions of sensuality and how you can express yourself through it because some of them have this more softer like the en cachette with the two mm. women that are enjoying each other the lesbian artwork is oh, super soft and sensual and then there's kind of these more illustrated pieces that, again super sensual and lovely but in like a completely different way although if you if you scroll down another one this one makes me laugh the the shine cuido but the sleeping dog Oh yeah. <laughs> so it's the one under that. I don't know why, but something about that, it's almost it's so ambiguous in timeline. So obviously the woman and the man in it have a very traditional Japanese kind of dress style and makeup and hair. But for some reason, even though the backdrop has like a beautiful silk screen, the fact that there's this dog and this shelf full of stuff kind of you could almost be like this could be people in traditional dress but in modern times. Yeah. It adds that kind of ambiguity <laughs> to it and again brings it like bang up to date. It makes me think of that um, that Japanese illustration of the woman cutting her kimono for the sleeping dog or the sleeping cat. Have you seen that one? Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah I know the one you mean. <laughs> I love these positions though, and I, I love that actually a lot of a lot of like books like you know Kama Sutra and uh, Japanese eroticism. They so expertly show the entering places, you know, with so much clothing as well. It kind of uh, it, it's like these bundles of passion, and then like antithesized into like then seeing where they join like you can't see any of their other bits of body like you know like they might be like holding a leg or or whatnot but being so wrapped up in clothes it's it, it adds more layers of passion to it because it's almost like well it has that um it has the censorship of still being clothed when you bundle with someone 
but it's almost like the passion goes beyond that because you couldn't get the clothes off sooner. You, like you didn't disrobe immediately to, um, do, you just had to have that person there and then. And it's beautiful. I love this one. <laughs> Little sleeping dog. It's great. <laughs> <laughs> There's one slightly further down. Uh, je ne suis plus le bébé de passant, which is I'm nobody's baby now. I apologise now for my French pronunciation. I think I'm, I've got it, but again, apologies to my French-speaking listeners. I will keep it's trying, right. keep practicing. <laughs> I think, I think I was sort of in the right ballpark. But it's um, I'm nobody's baby now, and she's actually there's writing in the background of that one, which I think is really cool. It's, mm. Again, slightly different to some of the other ones. It's still got that illustrative, illustrative style that she's done on some, but and that's written in English, isn't it? Yeah, so she's actually got that that sentence within the mm. within the artwork. I am nobody's baby now, and if you scroll down to like the more zoomed in one, you can read more of what's written there. I mean, in some places it's hard because when you've got really scripted handwriting, I know from myself it's hard to read back my own writing. That's so like the um, the fisherman's wife, Hokusai's one. You mm. remember? Because it had all the. Yeah. It was more like a comic illustration because it had the the words written in into the picture. Look at her harking back to all this history. Amazing. Yeah, <laughs> and I think I think what also is really nice about this series is of how inclusive it is. Of you know, there's clearly male and female lovers. There's clearly yeah. female and female lovers, and there's also self love in it. Mm. So it really kind of like touches on all parts of like sensuality, sexuality, the the fact that there's different styles within the series that shows different kind of like sensitivities to the subject. Mm. I think it's like a really lovely depiction of sensuality and erotica in artwork on like lots of different levels within this one series by one artist. It's yeah, I just was really fascinated when I found it and was doing some reading about it and I just thought well, people need to know about how wonderful it is, really. <laughs> I think this is such a good choice. And I just thought you would enjoy hearing about it, my dear. I know, I had no idea. I had no idea she was so talented. Like, you know, she had so many different talents under her belt. And she'd been doing yeah. it for so long. But yeah, I just think they're beautiful. I would quite happily have one on my wall. Finally, we have a guest on who I've been friends with since university. Forged in the fires of wild nights and philosophical conversations, but most of all, hilarity. Clementine Reese brown is a captivating writer, and I know will go far. With such a topic this month, I knew talking with her would be an absolute light for the show. So, we apologise for the sound quality, um, but I swear everything she says is magic. But first, let me read you her poem, especially written for this episode. She lays, her front pressed in the bed. She breathes, his fingers trace her spine, their fight, brutal words. She sighs, wonders why love might not be so right. She knows, his eyes watching her now, his hand, love flows, hair falls back from her shoulder, curving slow, his thighs, warm muscles push in, peach flesh, curves, beat fast, hands mesh, humid storms under sheets. He kneels, dark eyes caught in the light. She turns, 
spreading open her mind. First pain, falling gently away, then moans with each other they play. Well, uh, our next guest, <laughs> we have Clementine Reese Brown, and it's so cool because she's been one of my like hardcore friends since university, and I love her so much. And it's so good to have you on. Thank you, thank you very much. It's lovely to be here virtually. <laughs> yeah, we've been having a little bit of a chat on through the the, the phone, and our setup. Hopefully, you will you know be able to hear us properly. I can hear you at least. Hopefully, they can too. <laughs> You're a writer. You wanna you wanna tell us a little bit about what you do because I just read your poem and it's ah uh, because I asked you I was like please can you can you would you write me something for this episode because I was like you're such an amazing poet and writer and I've always been such a fan. I know I just praise you. Yeah, I know she's smiling and <laughs> um, and Thank you. you were saying how you um, wanted it to be very much more real. Absolutely, absolutely. Well, obviously, yes, it was a, a requested piece for you. And I took it as an opportunity to try something a little bit different because like a lot of other people, creativity has been a bit you know, of a gamble through the lockdowns, I would say. I just graduated this last summer, as you as you all know, <laughs> with my, uh, as a creative writer and having studied film. And um, I am currently out there with plenty of other graduates too, trying to find all the creative work and outlets and hopefully, you know, work with journalism uh, that I can at the moment. And it was a, a really nice opportunity to explore poetry in a different way than, you know, a way that I normally would perhaps and try and write about sensuality in a way that wouldn't be the norm of the kind of romantic way I would necessarily approach it normally yeah i mean um obviously the the theme of this this uh season not season <laughs> this month is uh, female sensuality and erotica uh, women in art so it made total sense to ask you to write something for me and you know when as you as you read through it's about uh i don't know it's so much more than just the touch of something it's kind of like it's reflected more on yourself, your own personal experience of it being something more modern and more real than it being this sort of more flowery, <laughs> romanticised idea. And I think that, I mean, it's exactly why I loved it so much. Thank you. Yeah, well, you know I love your work. <laughs> um, but there, there was like some questions that I want to ask you about that because I just love your mind, so. <laughs> Um, let's do it let's, let's do it right I mean the, the the biggest question really is what does sensuality mean to you as a woman brilliant brilliant open gambit of a question <laughs> and it's a challenge to try and, because you think about it in such broad brushstrokes it covers so many different elements of life and intimacy and sexuality and all these different parts so trying to actually dilute an answer for it was quite interesting. But I, in my mind, I, I think of sensuality as something that can be found in everyday life, in sort of lots of little things, ordinary, you know, pastimes, as well as the sort of intense, intimate sexual moments in life as well. And it's a 
platform, I think, for women especially, it's a foundation of self-enjoyment and pleasure and appreciation from which hopefully we can experience all the good things sort of on our own and other people with partners and things but it's not necessarily always that way Mm. yeah I think there needs to be more of a focus on being able to enjoy those intimate sensual things with yourself and be allowed to luckily there has been more of a movement for that I think there's more openness about about talking about those taboo things it's like yes come on masturbate what do you want to read what do you what do you want to watch like all these tiny little things that we process the world by are what we find inspirational and it's that inspiration that gives us that sensuality and connection with ourselves and i'm glad that that taboo is being broken down a little bit and you know just from having conversations about it it's like saying to people it's okay to talk about it it's it's not something that needs to be like brushed under the table absolutely It, it should be something very much built within a safe community and within yourself and i think our generation and many generations before it well i'll touch on this later (laughs) on as well i'm sure but it always felt like it was something for the outside, something, you know, sensuality, and it was always kind of intrinsically linked with sexuality yeah. for me, yeah. um, which was always intrinsically linked with it being to please and perform for someone else. It wasn't necessarily about the internal relationship mm-hmm. and enjoyment you have within yourself, and I think there is there is absolutely, you're right, there's a huge movement behind embracing and exploring and enjoying that side of you that was never really promoted for women until somewhere along the lines of the 60s and 70s Mm. you know it's taken a long long time to get to this point well think of it even in victorian the victorian era where they would consider women um to be hysterical if they were in touch with uh, those sides of themselves absolutely and it's another form of being able to, well, it's another form of trying to contain someone and also disregard their needs. And when, you know, women are such, I mean, I'm not saying men aren't, I'm just saying like women are complex, wonderful, like passionate beings. And we've got so many dynamic levels to us. And I mean, it makes me think of pretty, wo- uh, not not pretty woman. <laughs> I mean, pretty woman's great, but <laughs> it makes me think of, it makes me think of Little Women when uh, Joe is talking about how women yeah. are, are so much more than just heart. They have all these expressive, aggressive, wonderful, like huge souls. And I can't help but always think about the fact of sensuality um, and sexuality. They are very intimately woven together. But in the public eye, and it has been historically for a very long time, especially in modern times, is like the idea of like the female orgasm and how when women have sex yeah well you're not always going to have it and that is fine you know you won't but it's almost like it's it's (laughs) it's um it's almost like this acknowledged thing that yeah you know like the guy's gonna pop off or the other partner will and this goes in same-sex relationships too i'm just saying like it's this kind of uh faux pas along the idea of like it's Oh, it's this magical thing. Sometimes it happens, sometimes it won't. Like, as long as the guy is being pleased and being uh, able to further the lineage, you know, it's it's kind of like women are still sometimes considered to be that vessel to perform, like you were saying. Yeah, I'm rolling my eyes, <laughs> just for the record. <laughs> 
way back into my head but you're you're completely right and exactly right and that's yeah like I said up and you know into my own generation it's the way in which quite subtly a lot of the time as well that we've been lucky to have you know mothers and women around us who are feminists and mm-hmm. you know watch you know films and art and things that do promote a healthy respect and exploration of female sexuality and sensuality but there have still been societal expectations have still been there mm-hmm. and we've still been aware of them and it, it does have an effect and it's only an effect you realize it had once you're actively starting to shake it off <laughs> and realize yes. that it's there yeah and that's you know that's an, it's an exciting thing and it's why it's such a brilliant you know topic to discuss on on a podcast like this oh <laughs> and it, it, yeah. it, <laughs> It's it's just bringing it to the forefront to, I don't know, let women, other women know that it's okay to be in touch with that. I think a lot of women think of it as still being a very taboo subject, like like even with um, my self-plug, my Kickstarter about my erotic book, <laughs> like my mum was talking about it and she totally understands like the type of artwork it is, but her, her sharing it amongst her friends, they're so supportive of the arts and everything like that, but because it's very much like a sort of a, you know, a very small town country ideal. It's like, oh, something a little bit, uh, you know, that that should be top shelf stuff kind of thing. It's like, no, like, it's like, just bring it in, bring it, bring it in. It's okay. My mom's kind of a little bit like, they should share it. Like, but I, oh, I just wish they would. <laughs> so this kind of, I mean, talking about my book, this leads on to the next question, which I think is pretty great. Is there a piece of art, a film or book? <laughs> that has resonated with you and reflected how you've experienced sex or sensuality? Mm, I was gonna say, yeah, sex is a very direct one to go for. <laughs> I have, <laughs> there are many, 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 as as you would well know, um, mm-hmm. many you know, pieces of art, even you know, sculpture, film, music, lo- all of these things inform and broaden our minds when we're able to actually you know get our hands on them and it's it's definitely the ones earlier in life that sort of popped into my head initially when I sort of sat down and had to think about it um but the number one that it informed sensuality in a way when I was younger and kind of opened my eyes to that at the same time as it was one of the first really art house piece of film I ever watched. And it's the 1996 film by Bernardo Bertolucci, uh, starring a very young Miss Liv Tyler. Uh, It's Stealing Beauty. Oh, I love Um, that film. Which would you like me to give a quick synopsis (laughs) if nobody's (laughs) actually seen it? Please uh, do, please do. So it's, in effect, it's it's a coming of age film, but it's a coming of age film for a young woman. And it's young, I think she's about 18, American, who goes to stay in the humid, golden, glorious Tuscan Hills for a summer. <laughs> which in itself is a gorgeous, <laughs> you know, sensual idea to have. Um, and the whole, you know, she's, she's there to actively explore her identity. She's clearly going through, you know, an awakening of young, budding sensuality and sexuality. And she being, I think I was about, you know, definitely too young for the age. Then <laughs> 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 um, I should have been. I think I was about 13 when I watched it. And she writes poetry. She observes people in a way that any writer or artist watching that film would recognize. Mm. She's like a kind of 
exotic bird in a different climate. She's <laughs> trying to understand the world around her, and she's trying to understand herself. And at the same time, is you know, she's developing as a woman, and she、mm-hmm. wants to. She's doing it in such an incredible setting, and it's just it's hypnotic, and and it's a female story. And yes, it's told by a it's a male director, but he he tells. Women's stories so beautifully,、mm. and Liv is just the perfect actress to be this kind of young mind that's being kind of expanded and challenging herself in a way that I've never seen portrayed, and I've never read in any other book before. So that's my,、um, I'd say, the cinematic piece that awoke that sort of idea of sensuality and saw it. Portrayed from a young woman's you know, perspective in a totally healthy, exciting way. I thought、mm. that was brilliant. Do you feel that Stealing Beauty like really inspired a lot of your work? Do you, I mean, like, have you watched it recently and seen how much it has inspired you? Because I had that quite recently with a film myself. Oh, that's such a good question.、Um, I haven't watched it for. <laughs> it's like one of those precious gems of a film that I. Actively try not to revisit too often.、Mm. I think it's important to not overwatch something when it has a real kind of.、Um, it's a nostalgic、uh, piece for me, for sure. I, wish, I should probably rewatch it and see how it makes me feel because <laughs> it definitely, absolutely has informed my younger ideals, which have obviously developed since then. But the way that I saw interaction、uh, between sort of adults and in that kind of setting, which is a very kind of bohemian, artistic, and that absolutely that sense of a, a you know wonder, but not in any kind of a resentful sense, who is trying to learn from those around her. Who is able to? You know, there's a very kind of open sense of vulnerability within the film, but never in a real any kind of frightening way. Because with the topic you know, of sensuality and sexuality lacking safety for women, especially young women, because it is you know in our day and age, it, it can be something that you have to make sure you're very well educated about and safe about. There's a kind of wildness and spontaneity to、mm. sensuality in the film that I love. And it feels, it makes, yes, absolutely, it makes it feel very natural and not something to be afraid of or nervous about. It's just something that when you're ready, it's there, and you can, you should, you know, in an ideal world. Obviously, in cinema, it's always through a, <laughs> a, you know, a tinted lens of would that it works, <laughs> but that you can just sort of dive into that new world, and it will be receptive and safe and exciting. So yeah, it absolutely has informed those elements of my work、uh, in recent years, and now you now you've made me want to go back again. <laughs> Good God! Hundred percent believe that there is power in, and I'm not talking exclusively about women. I think men as well. There is a huge power in being in total ownership、mm. and educated about your own, your body, your sensuality, and your comfort and your pleasure.、Yeah. That. Unless you go and actively seek people and films, and you know, thankfully with social media, there are you know so many hundreds of thousands of pages and artists, including your lovely self, like、Aww. that are making it a public, easy to approach subject. So it should be less you know daunting or.、Mm. Like we said, you know, taboo or feeling like it isn't appropriate somehow that you would want to feel totally. 
within yourself and comfortable in your own skin experimenting and exploring all elements of that. It's a terrible thing when um, our own human nature is something that we aren't allowed to expressly explore without hindrance. I, I wanted to ask, how do you connect with your own sensuality? Well, another question <laughs> I very much uh, enjoyed giving a, bit, a little bit of pre-thought to. Um, my own sensuality, because again, even <laughs> answering this to you who's one of my closest and dearest friends on the planet <laughs> it feels a little bit vulnerable and I'm totally mm. I just want to recognize it and own it because it's you're talking about something that for centuries and millennia was a totally secret part of yourself and it feels great <laughs> like it's really it's very it's sort of thrilling to be talking about it in a public arena but yeah I just want to say oh <laughs> little bit risque but I'm here for it. I think I sort of said before that I, I connect with sensuality in many different ways and I think many many women do. I think it's um, been put under a huge magnifying glass within the last year that we've all collectively lived through mm -hmm. that if you take away the trimmings and the luxuries outside of ourselves that we did have before, you know, the luxury to go and visit friends, to go travel abroad, to, you know, go outside for pleasurable pastimes and enjoyment. And when we have to live simply and find the pleasure in each day, a lot of people have found that very, very, very challenging, uh, myself included. So with that in mind, you know, being <laughs> in couples and single as well, I'm not purely mm. talking about people who have you know been living alone or people who have been married i think everybody's collectively found it to be a tricky a tricky road to walk but for me i've sort of thought everything from you know a hot bath in the evening that can be <laughs> a lovely sense essential experience it really is and it's something so basic that you almost wouldn't think of that as being you know essentially enjoyable thing but then you actually go to the the breakdown of it and you think wait I'm doing this to relax myself I put the bar salts in so my muscles can you know be soothed and calmed and you put some nice music on and you light the candle and you're actively carving out a quiet bit of time for yourself to just be and that's been so enjoyable and important I think mm -hmm. um great music that's something <laughs> But really, genuinely, but I, I don't know how I can sort of explain how it would, even scientists to this day, I try to do a little bit of reading up on it, they don't understand why necessarily the, when we listen to music that excites us or moves us, you know, sometimes to the point of tears, people get so sort of swept away. They can't quite put their finger on why that happens. They just know that the human body will physically react when we're listening to something we really enjoy mm. our pulse will quicken our skin will get goosebumps <laughs> so yeah that's definitely something i would put under that umbrella you yeah. can certainly have a relationship with music a hundred percent one hundred percent and lots of the people i speak to on a regular basis have said that they don't know what they would do without it it can mm. be such a healthy outlet something that you can go have a stomp to if you're feeling frustrated you can put it on to relax to do your cooking uh, leaving me very skillfully on the next point <laughs> of <a> food <laughs> food 
food has been a huge thing for many of us in the lockdown. It is a passion in my life. It is absolutely a central joy. I love both cooking for myself and I do take particular pleasure in the cooking and preparation of something. It's never something halfway. It's got to be something rich and delicious. <laughs> and doing that for someone else is it is something I take a genuine enjoyment in and knowing that you're made something that you're going to enjoy and that will give you nourishment and pleasure while you have it and you're also sharing that with somebody else so that's absolutely a lockdown must do for me and like everything from something as small as having some nice like nice scented candles a soft blanket comfy chairs good wine nice movies and above all great conversation I think they all fall under the umbrella of central enjoyment as far as I'm concerned. You see, I love that everything you said, it's all to do with appreciating self-care. It's not about, uh, and I mean, of course, there is absolutely the time to go and find someone to rub against, but the the true cause of what, you know, sensuality within your life on the day-to-day are in these elements of self-care um, and self-connection with other people as well, when you can cook and connect with music and have conversations. Because those are the, the, the really deep-rooted parts of how we connect with people, and it's connection that really embraces sensuality, I think. No, I, I entirely agree. And I, <laughs> I, just for the record, I've definitely, I've been single through the... Uh, <laughs> second and third lockdown which has not been a problem at all but obviously mm-hmm. it does change the kind of uh, the list of things <laughs> you would think of in terms of sensuality but at the same time it has it's fully made me embrace you know podcasts have been fantastic company for many many days where you know there haven't been too many other human beings to interact with and it does make you spend more time with yourself and you can take the decision to make that a more enjoyable experience and less of an uncomfortable silence so leading on to the next question what do you think is the most common misconception when it comes to female sensuality i think that for me right now it's the perception that it's something that's contrived or produced or performed for the for male consumption Mm. like that's genuinely i think the biggest problem surrounding it it's probably why a lot of women are shy to discuss it and i think it really in and of itself if you take that element away which can be very difficult to do depending on, like we said, how you're raised and where you're from and what expectations have been put on you from a very young age. If you strip that back, it can be a beautiful, genuine enjoyment and a care for yourself and all of the kind of secret lovely things that are sensual and are sexual that you can learn to appreciate about yourself. It doesn't have to be to then show it to someone else. It can be totally its own thing without it having to then be you know, presented on a whiteboard uh, for a potential kind of sexual partner. But if you do, when you have that foundation of, we'll call it self-love as well as, you know, self-care, but central self-enjoyment, if, when you do then go forward and decide that you do want to share that with someone or lots of people, it can make it a safer and 
more fun thing for you because you have a certainty about who you are and what you want in that way and that makes you I think less vulnerable to people taking advantage. I mean it is that vulnerability that I think a lot of people as well as women will find hard to open up about because I mean it's derobing yourself not just physically it's mentally um you're saying these are the things these are the things that I really like and I would like you to do those things to me or I would like to do those things to myself it's giving yourself permission to acknowledge that and discuss it I mentioned it earlier but I think that a lot of women are afraid to talk about it because they're afraid to to own up to that sexual part of themselves, that sensual part of themselves, and, and know that that actually is a part of their day-to-day. Which is ironic, because it's, <laughs> such, it's such an enjoyable thing to see in others. Mm. And, you know, being, I'm in my late 20s now, and the, the difference in watching, you know, friends grow up from being, you know, in their teens, and you're so sort of immature and naive <laughs> about some things, and the way that we look at sexuality and sensuality has evolved and grown and those boundaries of you know, shyness and discomfort around it have just eroded over time yeah. and it's such a wonderful thing to share to share sort of with friends and to not feel afraid to discuss and really build the confidence around it I think confidence is so so key to, like you said, you know, to have the vulnerability to present yourself in that way mm. if you want to, to, you know, any kind of partner or your potential romance. It can, it takes nerve. <laughs> it, <laughs> it really does. It takes nerve to be, to be ballsy about it. It's, it's not something that's easy. And the more that we can kind of help each other get to that point of self-assurance, mm. the, the better I think everybody will be. Definitely. It's almost like saying, why should I deny that part of myself or deny sharing that part with other people? Sensuality does not have to be explicit erotic stuff. Like it is about connecting and it's about sharing that connection and allowing others to learn more about themselves by you sharing your own experiences. Um, <laughs> and, um, I, you, you said that this one was a, a bit of a tricky one for you, but can you tell me a quote or poem that speaks to you intimately? Yes, I ground to a true halt. Um, <laughs> it's just, it's a baffling choice. And you know, this, like, there is so much out there. I started to, you know, Google some of my favorite books and some of my favorite poets. And it was just, it was all getting too confusing. And I ended up choosing my first sort of the whiplash when you get the first kind of flash of something in your head when mm. you're thinking about a topic. And it's just so appropriately, it's from, it is, it's a literary, it's a poem, it's a sonnet. It's from a film that we mutually love. <laughs> and I think it's, I'm not even quite sure why it resonates um, so strongly. Again, except that I saw it, I first watched it and then read um, some of Dante's sonnets after I first watched oh. the film, which is oh. how... <laughs> um, which is a masterpiece in and of itself but I remember so vividly when I first heard obviously it's Anthony Hopkins who's just the perfect the, the great voice to read any line of poetry oh and he reads this excerpt from uh, La Vita Nuova oh. 
um, the first sonnet, which I can read out for you now. She, if you'd like. she, like I can see her, but she can't see me because our video <laughs> call. But like, I was listening to the album, the like the other day because I just needed to hear that. I don't know. It's it's beyond resonating. It's um, it's like it 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 just it's like a blanket of um an experience that you're you're there listening and hearing and ah uh, I don't know like I just I just want you to read it like <laughs> it's fine it's definitely uh, I'll say I think when I tried to analyze it a little bit that whole film mm. that it is it's deeply it's poetic and it's beautifully made and the, the music is astonishing I mean we um, we're talking like we are no we haven't actually said what it is <laughs> Yeah, Hannibal. Like, yeah. <laughs> like we just Absolutely. we just symbiotically knew, but like we hadn't actually said. So it's Hannibal. <laughs> There's very much a, a sense of longing through the whole film, in my opinion. There is a very quiet. It's, it's the relationship between the two protagonists is a very unusual one, <laughs> but it is one that there is depth to, and there's. Um, a tension between and it's sort of almost summarized it's not being read to Clarice Starling it's been read to someone else but this passage does have a sensuality and it does have a longing to it that I don't know I just think it's really beautiful but here we go he woke her then and trembling and obedient she ate that burning heart out of his hand weeping I saw him then depart from me could he daily feel a stab of hunger for her and feel nourishment in the very sight of her? I think so. But would she see through the bars of his plight and ache for him? <sighs> it's... Are you okay? <laughs> I mean, I just like... I turn the camera on. I enjoyed oh, that. <laughs> It rings so true. It, it embodies those elements of it's the romantic truth that I think you feel when you're when you're hearing, especially Anthony Hopkins saying it. That desire and that that realness behind it. I mean, obviously, it's um, it's that storytelling, and obviously within Dante's Divine Comedy, it's a poem about what he romantically feels the storytelling is. You know, but the idea of devouring someone's heart to be closer to someone to understand them and to long for someone um, I mean even just in those poetic words we can we can feel that hunger you can um, like that's the way it's just it is powerful and that kind of writing it doesn't lose its potency over time I don't think <laughs> as true today as it did it's 700 800 years ago it's incredible i'm absolutely gonna just stick it on <laughs> <laughs> straight oh, i'm glad you enjoyed it baby oh my god what a, what a fantastic choice to end our little chat on Oh, I love you for choosing that. I... I love you too. Thank you for having me on. <laughs> oh, thank you so much, Clem. Um, You're you've you've been sensational, and I'm sorry you didn't get to see my face for half of it, but I am glad I got to see yours. <laughs> <laughs> it was fabulous. It was brilliant to talk about something that we 
spend most of our spare time talking about it anyway. So <laughs> we do. We may as well as put it on the record. It was an absolute pleasure. Mm-hmm. If you'd like to get to know Clem a little bit more, you can find her on Instagram just by searching Clemmy Reese Brown and also her website, which is www.clementinereesebrown.com. Thanks for tuning in to this week's episode. Follow us on Instagram, Twitter, or email us with any hellos or questions at drunkartreview at hotmail.com because who doesn't love a hello? <laughs> Drunk Art Review was created, edited, produced, and hosted by me, Rosie Alexander, and Jennifer Kemp. Featuring ambient music by Prod Riddiman. As well as being free sourced.